Bhutto Arahato Sama Sambutasa Namo Tasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambutasa Namo Tasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambutasa Bhutang Dhammang Sankang Namasami <clears throat> Today, you know, during the interviews, I noticed that some, you know, people didn't really um, fully understand what the Buddha, you know, under, uh, meant feeling to comprise of. And so I thought I'd just uh, read a, a quote from Venom Analyo's book about Satipatthana, which I think is so, so clear. It's better I read it rather than try to... Explain it. <clears throat> Considered from a psychological perspective, feeling provides quick feedback during information processing as a basis for motivation and action. In the early history of human evolution, such rapid feedback evolved as a mechanism for surviving dangerous situations when a split-second decision between flight or fight had to be made. Such decisions are based on the influence of the first few moments of perceptual appraisal, during which feeling plays a prominent role. Outside such dangerous situations, however, in the comparatively safe average living situation in the modern world, this survival function of feelings can sometimes produce inadequate and, in, and inappropriate reactions. So, because of that, because you know, feeling is solely geared towards you know the survival of this body, which understands itself to be separate in in a hostile you know environment. Because of that, you know, if we live together in in big groups, how we live in this day and age, you know, we have to really uh, try to, um, you know, manage our feelings. So the, the, those feelings, they still have an important function, but we have to see it in context. And and in, in this way, you know, we have to most of all notice the impermanence of feelings. And you know the um, meditation practice is is very much geared towards you know developing that capacity to 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 be present you know when when a feeling is triggered and and arises and then you know not become that feeling and then you know act out of that feeling because it has to be seen in a much bigger context. And the Buddha's teaching is all about, you know, providing a bigger context which in which we can see the, the four foundations of mindfulness in, in, a, in a perspective. And then, you know, we have um, the capacity to um, have a choice, you know, do we act on this or don't we? And I wanted to speak about that tonight. Uh, I wanted to speak about the connection between um, feeling and, and perception. 
because all our perceptions of of objects, you know, they are very much conditioned by our feelings, you know, which is a very quick kind of information which arises and most mostly is unconscious, especially you know, if we haven't trained our minds, we we are not aware, you know, that our perceptions and our views about things they are underpinned by by our feelings, which you know, which are, is a very, very split second arising and and we are often not aware of it, but then we, you know, we build a, a whole world on top of those feelings, and that whole world is solely uh, there, you know, to rationalize the feelings. But if we don't, you know, ask into that, if we don't look into it, it it will escape us. And for example, today, and you know, I was walking in the in the in the woods, and then I saw some kind of shiny longish kind of object on, on the on the floor of the of the, the ground of the forest and my whole body contracted for a moment you know because it, there was the thing is it's a snake and then you know I, I just looked again and then it revealed itself to be just a root on the forest floor but there is a typical example you know where a perception is triggered by a feeling of like of recoiling and then you know the whole and we bring that into all parts of our lives. And this is pretty innocent, you know, going in the forest and mistaking a root for a, for a snake, but that it can, you know, it can lead to all kinds of um, very unfortunate results. And, you know, this, you know, this, um, Process the Buddha called it hallucination of perception, and he he speaks about four hallucination of perception, four different ones, you know, and and those hallucinations of perception they can happen on many different levels. So what happened to me today in the forest is is quite a superficial level of hallucination, and quickly resolved itself. And you might know that also, you know, if you go somewhere and then you see somebody and you think it's some person and then you go and want to speak and then, oh no, it's not. Because just maybe they had the same movement of walking or maybe had same hairstyle and same clothes. This is such an example as well. And this is, you know, pretty superficial. But then there are some other hallucinations of perception which are very basic, very, fu very fundamental to experience. And... You know, they keep us trapped in, in, in samsara because they are so, uh, you know, deeply disorienting because they make us, <clears throat> you know, misunderstand life on a very, very deep level. And I'm just going <clears> to <throat> read those out first. The first one is, <laughs> you know, to perceive the impermanent as permanent. And the second one is to perceive the unattractive as attractive. The third one is to perceive the unsatisfactory as happiness. And the fourth one is to perceive not self, to be self. So they are just very fundamental, basic uh, hallucinations and they are called hallucinations and in the old translation they have been also called perversions sometimes 
and the Pali word is vipalasa. And they're called hallucinations or perversions because uh, you know we are not we are clinging to them as being as being right as being being the truth, and we are not seeing you know that they are not so. So this is the nature of a hallucination is to hold something to be true which isn't true. And you know, Buddha has developed uh, you know different systems to look into those hallucinations and to kind of dismantle them. So that then what's left over is is reality. Because we have a tendency, you know, to heap lots of different things on top of reality. We always tend to make more out of what's really happening. Because what's really happening is very, very simple. And we seem not to be, you know, it doesn't seem to be enough, good enough for us. We, we, need, we want more, we philosophize and we project and we build whole worlds on top of what's happening. And then everybody does that, and then it's easily, you know, understood where there's so much, um, you know, strife in the world because everybody has a different lives in a different world, and those worlds are all very much, you know, removed from reality. And uh, I'd like to quote uh, a quote from Bhantikuna uh, Ratana, where he says, you know. Um, escaping into reality rather than from it. You know, that's, that's the essence of the Buddha's teaching because we tend to think, you know, to escape into distraction is, is, a, is a way to make us feel better. But the Buddha says very clearly, if you want to really feel better on a sustainable level, you have to escape into the truth from your hallucinations, going into the truth. And there's like different ways how that can be done and and meditation is you know is like the basic technology which you know makes the mind uh, softens the mind and which kind of trains the mind to look at at uh, experience in a different way. And uh, there's you know different ways of looking at this. For example, you know looking at um, the very early stages of perception. For example, you know, when I was going in the forest today, when I saw that root on the, on the ground, I, I immediately, because now I'm quite uh, sensitive through meditating a lot, have just been in a three-month retreat, and now again here, you know, in a, in a very kind of specialized environment, I could immediately feel, you know, how the whole body was kind of contracting and... And then just just looked again instead of, you know, immediately reacting. I looked again, and then suddenly, the, just did like this because it's so. Oh, it's just a root. It's not a snake. So that was a very, well, it was a very archaic part of the system which was reacting first. But then I didn't kind of buy into it. So you know, there was a certain amount of mindfulness there, to just stay, keep on looking. Is that really true, or is is there something else revealing itself through looking a bit longer? So that's that's one way, you know, and that's that's called you know training mindfulness to be able to keep steady with our experience and not 
kind of run with it immediately. Just keep on looking a bit deeper, keep on looking a bit longer, what is, what is really there. And, and through that, you know, paying attention, we can slowly, we can reshape those patterns because we start to realize, you know, it's not, it's not necessary always right, you know, what, what, I'm, what I'm seeing and how I'm uh, judging an experience. So looking into it and, and kind of unraveling it through, through kind of shining the light on it and, and staying with it. Even, you know, it might be unpleasant because there's this, you know, this ambiguity there because it could still be both. It could be still this or it could be still that. And instead of quickly, you know, kind of relieving that, that feeling of not knowing by just putting a label and just being done with it, we just stay with that not knowing for longer. And, and give it time, you know, to reveal itself. And that can be, you know, can be unpleasant to not know. It can be scary to not know. And sometimes, you know, we rather put just like, like past experience on, onto present experience to just, you know, be able to move on to the next thing. And then, you know, we constantly recreate the same scenarios again and again and again wherever we go we, we just you know drag that whole baggage with us and just make it come to life again and again and again simply because we can't you know uh, stay with this ambiguity of of just uh, refraining from labeling and just just being with it and see, you know, how it reveals itself. That's, that's one way. And, you know, the other way of uh, investigating, you know, these hallucinations is to, to, to kind of um, investigate them according to what's called in the Buddhist teaching, the three characteristics of... Um, of life, you know, the basic three characteristics which permeate all of life, all objects of experience, including, you know, our own bodies and feelings and perceptions and all those, you know, underlie those three characteristics which I'm sure you have heard about them because they are so central to the Buddhist teaching. The first one is impermanence and uh, unsatisfactoriness or instability unsta and not self and as I read out before those four hallucinations you know they are all very much uh, in relationship to those three characteristics you know uh, holding the, imper the impermanent for permanent and, and how can we kind of how can we um, you know, noticed it through, you know, when, if there is like, if we notice there's clinging there, that's, that's such a clear, um, sign, you know, that we are holding on to the impermanent as permanent and clinging then is, is the, is the, you know, the dissonance because that which is impermanent can't be permanent so there is a 
a stress arising. And and this stress, you know, is is uh, it's called dukkha in Bali. And the Buddha's teaching is is all about you know trying to relieve us from this unnecessary stress because of our you know hallucinations. So how we meet life in a way which is unrealistic. And you know the second one of those um, hallucinations, the uh, you know keep holding the unattractive to be attractive, is a very, you know, very superficial way of uh, of looking at experience and and not seeing, you know, underlying. Um, truth of the body for example you know we were kind of looking into the elements of the body and uh, earth water fire and um, air and it's not you know it's not saying that those elements are not beautiful but it's also saying, you know, that what we project onto, for example, if we see a body and we feel a strong, for example, sexual um, attraction to another body, we are, we, are, we are getting stuck in the in the surface of the body because if we look into it, we can see it consists of parts which are, they may be beautiful, but they are certainly not sexually attractive, water, earth, fire and air. Or there's other ways of looking at the body in terms of the body parts, skin, flesh and bones. You know, they are, it's not that they are ugly or anything, but they are not sexually attractive. And, you know, and and looking at the body in this way, slowly, you know, kind of, um, you know, brings us more in touch with the way things really are rather than the surface. And, you know, there's, there's, there's different methods, you know, of looking at the body, which were especially, you know, taught by the Buddha to monastics because they, of course, had issues, you know, with this, um, with sexual attraction because they were living as celibates and that they weren't doing those uh, practices because they were thinking, you know, sexual attraction is a bad thing, but they just found it kind of not very helpful, you know, in if they had to live as um, celibates. And that is a way, you know, which is really cooling the mind because it just breaks through those, um, you know, overlays which we we put on top of experience. We can very well live without that. And our life will be more, you know, easeful. And then we can still choose, you know, this or that. We can still choose to have a sexual relationship, but we are not driven. You know, we have a choice. And then we can enjoy that much more because it's not um, coming from such a strong urge. And that's also something which in our society is really often very much misunderstood. You know, a strong wanting something is misunderstood as 
as, as a happiness. For example, you know, the whole uh, advertisement industry is, is really built on that misperception, you know. Because if we want something really very much, we have a very strong perception of self. Because then there's a very clear focus, I want this, and I just go for it. And there's a very strong clarity, there's no ambiguity there. And somehow the ego loves that, you know. If it really knows exactly what it wants, it feels kind of safe. But that's, that's a real kind of deep misunderstanding. The Buddha considered happiness to be, you know, freedom from wanting. And, 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 you know, through really understanding how that works. You know, renunciation, for example, and simplicity, silence, um, all of those, you know, things which are difficult to sell, really, on the market, because they don't cost anything. You know, they don't have a very good uh, PR, you know, in the world in this day and age. But they are really, you know, what brings a lot of ease and, and true happiness, you know, because it puts the mind at ease. And then, you know, the Brahma-viharas, as Ayananda Bodhi was teaching this morning, you know, they are a natural arising of a mind at ease, you know, feels uh, metta and compassion and sympathetic joy and, and uh, equanimity. And that's what the Buddha considers what true beauty is all about. Those those qualities, you know. And they are the opposite of wanting something. Because the mind is completely open. And that's that's a very different kind of a beauty, you know. And and because it you know, it can't be sold it's it's kind of put is pushed to the side and uh, and you know, and we are all, you know we are constantly bombarded with these different messages and so you know we have to escape to a place like IMS you know where we where we can you know find a different information because it's it's so easily um, you know overpowered by this um, you know, strong messages we get wherever we go, whatever machine you turn on, it all comes, you know, towards you and it's just like profoundly confusing. And, uh, you know, coming to a place like this uh, enables us, you know, to really balance that out. It's not about, you know, that the world is, is bad or anything. It's just like confusing, you know. There's good things in there, and 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 you know very useful and everything, but it's just like a bit lopsided, you know. And coming here, you know, is is to kind of open it all up for investigation and put it in in a bigger context, you know. And the Buddha's teaching is providing us with this map, you know, putting all of these things, you know, into a much bigger context. And you know the biggest of contexts really is is these three characteristics: impermanence, unsatisfactoriness or instability, and not self. I mean that's the biggest context you can measure anything against. And then 
you know, it reveals its true nature. And that doesn't mean that it's, it's no good or anything, or that it's, we should not, you know, deal with those things. We anyhow don't have a choice, you know. We have a human body, so we live in the world. We have to deal with all of those things. But in a, in a more realistic way, that would be really good, because that would relieve us from a lot of stress, then we could really you know, live in the world and not be of the world, how it's often said, you know. And that brings an ease and, and an openness of mind. And then the Brahma Viharas naturally will be there towards our own experience and towards, you know, the experience of others and towards all living being, beings, you know, and the, the planet itself. The planet will no longer be just a, a warehouse and a sewer, you know, where we just take what we want and throw back what we don't want and mess it all up and, you know, wipe ourselves off the planet if we not keep, you know, turning around. So, you know, not knowing those three characteristics has a, you know, tremendous destructive side to it. So, you know, what we are doing here, you know, looking at, uh, you know, trying to escape into reality rather than from it is very, very important. And I brought a very interesting quote here. It's from an um, American biologist. His name is E.O. Wilson. And he says, the real problem of humanity is that we have paleolithic emotions, medieval institutions, and godlike technology. <laughs> and, you know, and that this godlike technology has the power, you know, to destroy nature if we don't, you know, turn it around. And our true nature is nature. So, you know, if we keep on going in this way, we just basically destroy ourselves, you know. And this is why this uh, work, what we are doing here, is very important. And, uh, you know, not many people are, are willing, you know, to hear this. And it's not about, you know, going around and telling everybody because it won't have a <laughs> we won't have a good reception. But it's, it's kind of, you know, living it as far as much as you can, you know, and that will will be a message. And I think that's all I wanted to say. Thank you. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu anumodhami. So that's the traditional ending after someone's given a talk, which means sadhu means it is good, great, thank you. And anumodhami, thank you, I rejoice in this offering.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.